The Splendid Table is supported by A to Z Wineworks, a B corporation dedicated to combining commerce with conscience, offering ridiculously food-friendly Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, and Chardonnay. A to Z Wineworks, the essence of Oregon. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is The Splendid Table from APM. Welcome to part three of our quarantine cooking question series. This week, we check in with two dear friends of our show, the New York Times bestselling cookbook author Melissa Clark and Patti Hinich, the host of the PBS television show Patti's Mexican Table. We take your cooking questions, we talk about the holidays, Passover and Easter, and we try to keep finding ways to help nourish ourselves through all of this. If you're a regular listener of our show, you probably already know that Melissa Clark is one of our closest friends. She's the best-selling author of the Dinner series of cookbooks, that's Dinner Changing the Game, Dinner in an Instant, and her latest is Dinner in French. She's also a cooking columnist for the New York Times, the host of our podcast, Weeknight Kitchen, and she is currently writing this out at home with three sacks of flour she got from a restaurant supply store. Hey, Melissa, how are you holding up? Hey, Francis. It's it's hard, but you know we are we are hanging on. <laughs> um, can I tell you something? So, like honestly, for my own emotional health right now, like I have been keeping a pretty low news diet. Like you know, I want to stay informed, but I'm trying not to obsess because it would be so easy to obsess. So I've got rules. I've you know no news before bed. I put my phone away before bed. I you know if I'm working, I like don't click over to check you know, the news, but you know, you work for a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's saying that is exactly saying what you're saying. In fact, we just instituted a household rule starting um, yesterday. No phones after 630, no devices after 630. So we'll see how that goes. We oh. just started yesterday, but I mean, we just, we needed to reclaim our evenings. You know, I was getting so every time I would hear a siren go by, I would get this like, clenched yeah. stomach and then i'd have to check the news to see what the stats were in new york so we're not doing that after 6 30 anymore and um yeah. it's going to be helpful i mean you've also worked from home for a long time do you have tips for people who are trying to figure out how to have some kind of like work-life balance doing that yeah you know it's funny because um you know on the one hand i've been working from home for most of what i do i do it from home you know we don't have a test kitchen at the new york times um, I test all of my recipes in my home kitchen. Um, I go into the office just for meetings. I can't, I, I, I just don't have the attention span to write there because there's so much going on. I really need quiet. So I do the majority of my job from home. Anyway, this said, it's a totally, it's different now because, um, you know, I've got my kid, she's going to school, you know, she has her distance learning, right, you know, in another room and, mm -hmm. Um, and I'm responsible in a way for, you know, for feeding her lunch, although she's 11, she should really get her own lunch. We're working on that. And, um, <laughs> and you know, and, um, and just knowing that, I don't know, there's like a heaviness too. there's a heaviness right now that I feel. So it's, it, it yeah, is different. Sure. But in terms of keeping work life balance, um, you know, before this happened, I was really, really good at this is my work day. And then this is my non work day, like I would close my computer every day at 630 which, you know, and it was easy to do. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to think about the news. I didn't want to think about work and it wasn't a problem. I think the hardest thing now is the, the discipline of like, you know, pulling back. So 
I would say just carve out your time, you know, and, and whatever that is. Um, I always say that, you know, mm. for me, the best part of my job is the actual cooking part where I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking and um, I'm trying to give myself more of that. So if there's a part of your job that you love best, maybe lean into it, you know, whether it's from home or not, just lean into the part that gives you the best, you know, the best of the best. Yeah. And I think you're like having a schedule, right? Like I think is, is really important. Like actually like looking at the clock and saying like, I stopped working at this time or at least I have to have a break at this time. Maybe I'm feeding the kids dinner and maybe if I need to catch up after, you know, they go to bed, I'll give myself another hour or whatever, but not just letting everything bleed into everything else. I think is probably really, I mean, for me, all the times I've worked from home, I think that's, that's been helpful to me, although I'm definitely not, <laughs> I wish I practice what I preach, but. Right, right. But it's something to strive for. But like, yeah. Um, so another thing I want to ask you about is I've been doing a lot of thinking for the last two and a half weeks or whatever about like, what's the smartest way to shop right now? Um, like not hoard stuff, but like, you know, shopping in a way where I don't have to go to the store very often. What do I prioritize buying now? And what do I enjoy for the first few days after I come home from the grocery and what can last longer? Um, and I'm, I'm like working towards the point where I think we can pretty solidly go like maybe almost two weeks before going to the store again. But you know, you're, developing recipes, right? And new ideas come to you. So you kind of have to get new groceries all the time while you're still working. So like, like, how are you shopping right now? Like, are there ways where you feel like I can shop really safely and um, smartly? Um, shopping is causing me so much anxiety, you know, <laughs> because I had, you know, I, mm. I go through a lot of ingredients and I had my systems down before this all happened. I had my, you know, I would pretty much shop if, if not every day, at least every other day. And I had my regular, you know, my fresh direct deliveries and I'd go to my local markets and I went to the farmer's market and everything has changed. And now I don't want to go every day. I want to try to limit it to once a week. When I get my groceries in, you know, do I wipe them down with Clorox wipes? Do I not? Do I have any Clorox wipes? It's like all of a sudden it's all, there's all this anxiety involved in something that I mean, I was kind of like shopping before. It was like, oh, look what's new at the market. Now it's like, oh my God, I got to put my mask on. I got to put my gloves on. I have to put my glasses on. And because I need to generate so many recipes, you know, aside from feeding my family, I do feel this responsibility to make sure that I have what I need. So it's, it's fraught. Um, yeah. I do know though, the latest stuff that I've read is that it's, it's a very low probability that you're going to get the virus from anything on, you know, food packaging or on like right. fresh foods. So that makes me feel better. So I'm trying to like take a deep breath and say, you know what, it's probably okay. Um, and I guess yeah. just planning ahead better, you know, I'm also not a good planner. I'm very, you know, I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll run to the store. And now I'm like, this is disciplining me. I'm like, okay. I'm going to write out a menu and I'm going to write out what my recipes are going to be. And then I'm going to stick to it. And mm -hmm. that is a totally new thing for me. I don't know. Are you good at that, Francis? Are you good at like that planning thing? Because that's <laughs> <I'm> definitely <learning. laughs> a new thing for me. I'm learning. Yeah, I think I definitely had a take a deep breath moment, you know, deep breath far away from anyone else. Um, and uh, yeah, like I'm writing down shopping lists in a much more organized way. I am thinking about what, what I'm going to cook for the next certainly week, maybe like 10 days, maybe two weeks if I can, if I can handle it and, and, um, just being really organized, having a really good shopping list. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant process. Right. Like don't be crazy, be smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
All right. So um, speaking of being smart, uh, we had a lot of people who want to ask you a lot of cooking questions because you're so smart. Uh, you ready to take some of them? Absolutely. All right. Let us start with St. Paul, Minnesota. We'll go to Cameron. Hi, Splendid Table. This is Cameron from St. Paul with a quick question. I cook almost every meal that I make. I love cooking. Uh, it's it's kind of my favorite quality time, uh, but I'm running out of things to do with ground beef. Typically, I'll whip up some tacos or make some, some spaghetti, but seeing that my girlfriend and I's love language is food, she's getting a little bit tired of just those two recipes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't mind just uh, throwing some recipes that are, are ground beef based, you'll you'll for sure save uh, our, our dinners and, and probably our relationship. <laughs> oh, my gosh. First, poor of all, guy. <laughs> first of all, I love this guy because he's like, I love cooking. Cooking is our love language. I make two things. <laughs> Ground beef. He doesn't just mean two uh, things. I'm so, so into it. I, I'm assuming that this guy has like a freezer full of ground beef, you know, and he's like wants to make the best of it, which is awesome. Um, but there's yeah. so many different things. I mean, God, I, I mean, I love ground. You know, the thing about ground beef is that you can use any ground meat. I find them pretty interchangeable mm -hmm. with the exception of white meat chicken, which doesn't have any flavor. But like turkey, pork, <laughs> like, like most of them, they'll taste a little different, but you can use what you whatever you have. So, it, you know, it's very forgiving. Um, yeah. did he say he, so he says he made spaghetti. I'm assuming he means spaghetti and meatballs or bolognese. Um, yeah, I'd imagine. But, um, what about, um, I mean, I'm first thing I always think of is like, you know, a, a cottage pie, like with ground beef, it's hmm. like a shepherd's pie, but you use beef instead of the lamb. So it's like yummy ground meat on the bottom with onions and tomato paste. And then you put mashed potatoes on top and you bake it. It's like a big casserole. So I would say try that, Cameron. Um, that is delicious. And then also, what about a picadillo, right? Oh, I love it. So that is delicious. Like Mexican style? Yeah, Cuban Mexican style. style. I'm like or... thinking of like, yeah. like rolling it up in corn tortillas and, or baking it in peppers. Like well, okay, well, let's talk about picadillo for a minute. Like, how do you like to make it? Um, I guess we should describe it for people who don't know it. So onion, garlic... Um, peppers, you know, chili, if you have any kind of chili peppers, this is when you want to break them out. Um, and then chili powder. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen recipes where you can add a sweet element too, like raisins. Have you ever seen mm -hmm. that? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I don't usually do that just because my family re will rebel, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I like that idea. Um, and then nuts too are fantastic. Almonds, pine yeah. nuts. And yes, go, 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 go. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, um, I mean, I think as long as you have the tomatoes, the peppers, um, and then all their other spices too, cumin, um, I'm trying to think of what else I put in there, coriander, and you just let the whole thing simmer down. What do you, what do you yeah. do, Francis? Is that a similar? No, I'm so psyched hearing you talk about it. So, cause I'm just thinking, okay. So like you said, you start with those aromatics, the garlic, onion, the chilies, um, you get that nice and tasty, you get the ground meat in there, you brown that off, you cook it down, maybe some tomatoes or spices. And then I actually love it with the raisins in it and the nuts. Cause I think there's like the nuts give like that richness and they're not really gonna be crunchy. Right. Cause after you've cooked it for a while, they get a little soft, yeah. but they still have a cool texture. I love the raisins for that pop of sweetness. And then um, I'm just thinking of, uh, we did a, um, we were really fortunate to be invited to, we as in Splendid Table, invited into um, the home of a Mexican cooking teacher, um, once who works with a company called the League of Kitchens, where like, you go into people's homes um, and they teach you, you know, traditional recipes from their culture. And she showed us a, um, 
chile relleno. So you take these big poblano peppers, you um, fire, you know, you, you roast them over the flames of your stove mm-hmm. until they get blackened. It's just like you would do like a roasted red pepper kind of thing. Let them steam, rub that roasted skin off. And then she cuts them open and she stuffed them with cheese, but you can also stuff them with that picadillo you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then yes. dip it in some beaten egg whites um, and then pan fry it. And, the, and because uh, there's no flour, you just do the egg whites and that gives it this beautiful kind of like battery coating when you pan fry it in oil. And it's so good. Like a stuffed cheetah reno with picadillo is mm. so good. I love that too. That is, a, that is a labor of love. It is an absolute labor of love. Um, I think, talk about food being a love language. <laughs> That's Melissa Clark, cooking columnist for the New York Times and author of Dinner in French. We'll be back with her and your questions in a minute. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is The Splendid Table from APM. Our show is supported by Third Love. Third Love is designed for your perfect fit. They use the measurements of millions of women to design bras with all-day comfort and support. With bras in over 80 sizes, your perfect fit is just waiting for you. Cups from AA to I, including half cups, and bands 30 to 48. With straps that won't slip, tagless labels, and lightweight, super-thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape, this will be the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. And they offer a perfect fit promise. You have 60 days to wash it and wear it. If you don't love it, return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Take the Fit Finder quiz. Just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com splendid now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com splendid for 15% off today. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is The Splendid Table. Hey, so we're spending some time right now with the best-selling cookbook author, Melissa Clark, who's helping solve our listeners' cooking quandaries. We'd love to hear from you, especially now, but because we don't have studio access, we can't actually take your calls live at the moment, but getting your questions to us is still easy. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at contact at splendidtable.org, or you can call us and leave a voicemail, and that number is one 800 537 5252. Let's get back to your questions with Melissa. All right, let's uh, let's do let's go to Lynn in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Lynn. Um, we are uh, under stay at home here, and I have um, an amazingly huge amount of coconut milk in my cabinets. And generally, I'll make curry with it with the coconut milk, but I'm just looking for something else that I can do with the coconut milk. So. Uh, easy, um, you know, having to use ingredients that are obviously, you know, already kind of staples in a pantry, mm-hmm. but would love to know what other um, recipes or ideas uh, I can come up with. Thanks so much. Bye. That's a good, I have a lot of coconut milk too. Do I have cans and cans of coconut milk? It's such a great thing to have right now, right? Because like oh, in milk, you kind of want to save for, you know, coffee and cereal and all that stuff. And coconut milk like can stay on your shelf for years and... It gets great richness, great flavor. 
But what would you do? I would do, I would make, um, I mean, right now I'm looking out the window and it's kind of gray. I would make a Thai um, soup. I would make a Tom Yum, you know, with chicken stock. Mm. And well, I mean, you're not going to, I mean, you don't, I probably, I don't have lemongrass, but um, I would, you could maybe, maybe I would do like a mashup of whatever I did have. Like maybe I would do chicken broth and chilies and I have lots of cilantro um, mm. and I just simmer that and it'd be great with some mushrooms. And so you just, you simmer it and then you add the coconut, you simmer it with the chicken stock. You've got your aromatics, um, maybe a stir anise, garlic, um, chili, and then you add the coconut milk. And if you have mushrooms, you can add that mushrooms are fantastic or shredded up pieces of chicken, or you could add rice. Yeah. Um, also rice pudding, rice pudding made with coconut milk is so soothing <laughs> and so yummy. And you I, love rice pudding. So you know how much. I feel about rice pudding. I love rice pudding. It's true. <laughs> I always talk about rice pudding. I'm, I feel like I talk about rice pudding maybe a little too much. <laughs> I love it. I'm down. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Or what about using it for French toast instead of regular milk? When you make French toast, if you have bread, it oh, is, man. That is a good one. You know, um, take your coconut milk and your eggs and you beat it together. Um, and then, you know, I usually add vanilla extract. But if I'm using coconut milk, maybe I would add almond extract instead, you know, kind mm. of play it in that like a more of a high nuttiness. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you can also make um, the the, um, the Filipino chicken dish that um, I'm blanking. Oh, adobo. Adobo. Yeah. And that's really easy. Um, and that oh I always finish with so coconut good. milk. Although you don't, you know, there are certain adobo recipes that don't use coconut milk, but that one is um, you can put coconut milk in the end. And if you have a chicken that's in your freezer, that might be um, an interesting thing to do with it. Uh, the thing about that is um, it's like a long simmered dish, so you plan that one ahead. Yeah, but like not difficult. Like okay, so chicken adobo is super regional in the Philippines, but a lot of the recipes I see are very like it's literally you braise it in one part soy sauce with one part vinegar. Right? Yeah, it's vinegar, like, soy, and very, ginger. I think that's it, right? Yeah. Garlic. Like it sounds like so much vinegar, but like the, the acid sort of cooks off as it simmers. It comes out this really beautifully balanced thing. And then, yeah, finish that with a little coconut milk. And that is delicious with rice. Yeah. I mean, do I, you know, when I make it, I don't usually put the coconut milk in, but sometimes I do. And um, mm. I love it with the coconut milk because you're right. It just kind of cuts it. But you don't want to use a strong vinegar. You want to use like, a, I think... Actually, I think coconut vinegar is the traditional, but I usually do it with um, cane vinegar or white wine vinegar, depending on what I have. Yeah. All right, let's move to another call. We have Mary Beth, who it sounds like she's cooking. Hi there. This is uh, Mary Beth and Manu. We're in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, here's our question. What's up with white pepper? <laughs> <laughs> I never have it called for in a recipe and I have tried to use it and it had such a distinctive flavor. I'm wondering where white pepper is usually used. Huh. White pepper is one of those things. I feel like I only use it in French. You know, I feel like it's a French thing. Uh, you know, white pepper is the, it's the inside of the black, the black peppercorn has the, the outer really spicy black part mm -hmm. of the berry and then the inside is the white pepper and i know that in french cuisine it's used because it adds a little bit of spice without putting black specks in your white sauce um it, it has a milder taste um i don't ever use it do you ever use it francis uh, you know i actually love white pepper okay um you know it was pounded in my head everything is salt and pepper to taste salt and pepper to taste and at some point i was just like i love black pepper but like why do we always automatically add it to everything like i just don't understand why that particular spice is 
automatically added to everything. So I just stopped using it for, I mean, literally for like 10 years. I, I just like, <laughs> instead of salt and pepper, I just use salt. I like, and I, I only use it when I want to use it. Right. Anyway, the point is the last restaurant I cooked in, we would have an automatic salt and pepper, but we always mixed white pepper in with the salt. I think for a lot of the same reasons you say for color, but also um, it is a little bit more subtle of a flavor. It doesn't have that like intense floral bite of mm -hmm. black pepper. And so you have a little bit of that like nice heat and warming as like a warming feel. Yeah, without warm that, rather like, than floralness. hot. Yeah, I see that. But it's actually really, I mean, my experience with white pepper has always been in Chinese cooking. And like, if you have a thick soup, um, we always have white pepper on the table for it, like a little sprinkly on top and just gives you a little bit in the nose, like a little bit of a, almost like a mustardy kind of vibe in the mm -hmm. nose, um, a little floral, and it kind of disappears quickly in terms of the flavor. It's just like a nice little hit of aroma and then it's gone. And I think it's really nice for like a kanji. We always like shake a little white pepper on top of our kanji. Um, so I really love white pepper. I, I, I think it, it, I don't think of it as lesser than black pepper. It's just, it's more of like a, hi, I'm here, bye, I'm gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, the one place I've used white pepper that I've absolutely loved, I made an ice cream with it, a white pepper ice cream. Did I say black pepper? A white pepper ice cream. Oh, cool. And it is, I, I remember doing this and it was, it was definitely a French chef's recipe. I can't remember whose. And I infused the white pepper into the custard and then strained it out. And boy, was that good. And I'm going to try it on kanji. Actually, I should make some kanji. It's kanji weather. Yeah. And I could, I have all the rice. So <laughs> I think that might be, and I'm going to try it on top of that. I've never done that. I usually, when I make kanji, I always just do ginger and scallion, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. white pepper sounds yeah. good to me. The, the thing with kanji, which is basically just rice porridge, um, you just cook like a, maybe a cup of rice with like eight cups of water until the rice essentially dissolves into this like sort of like thick, creamy broth. And, you know, it's funny because I grew up thinking kanji was old people food. Like, <laughs> my parents would eat it. My grandparents would eat it. And I'm like, I don't eat that. And now I'm like, oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it can, it can be so plain. And that's part of its appeal. But traditionally, we do add really powerful stuff on top. And the idea is like, oh, like your first bite is going to be like, pow, like a shred of raw ginger hit you or pow, like raw scallion or pow, that like little hit of white pepper. And then it has this comforting, soothing, just like you know, rice broth. Um, it's really, really nice. And I think in the country right now is if you're running low on rice, you can feed like eight people on a cup of rice. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, let's go to Mary and Bill. This is Mary. And this is Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and we're calling from Dayton, Ohio. My turn in the kitchen. And here are the vegetables I have. I've got Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, Carrots and, and uh, broccoli. Yeah. Okay. And we've done a lot of stuff with pasta already and we've oven grilled them. But I'd like a side dish. We don't have to use all of these things in one side dish, but a side dish for chicken that we're having a lot of. Um, what do we usually do? Well, we these? usually just pop these veggies in a steamer for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and then um, put some butter and some uh, spices on. Sounds kind of ordinary. It sounds really ordinary. I think we need a new recipe. Please. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Oh, they sound so sweet. I know. They're so cute. <laughs> I want them to cook for me. Oh. I'll make the veggies. Oh, 20 minutes in a steamer is a long time. I was thinking steamer. that too. I'm like, wow. But they, then if you do it on really low heat, maybe. I don't know. Well, mm. okay. So let's give them some new ideas, right? So... 
um, with things that they have. So nothing, no, you know, we're not running out and getting other ingredients here, just simple things. If you have olive oil, you can do so much. Um, like that is just what I do with every vegetable. If I don't know what to do, I drizzle it with olive oil. I put it on a sheet pan and I put it in the oven at 400 or 425 and I yeah. let it get golden brown. It is so easy and it's just, yeah. there's so much flavor because of the, you know, you get the caramelization. Um, so that would be, that'd be where I started. I think any of those veg, either separate or all together, you can, and you know, I think the important thing there is when you're, when you're roasting them, you want to make sure that all the pieces are approximately the same size mm -hmm. so that they're going to cook at the same rate. Although the carrots will take a little longer because they're more dense. So yeah. maybe, you know what I do sometimes? Well, you can do one vegetable at a time, but um, when I have more than one vegetable, I'll put like the carrots on one side of my sheet tray and the broccoli on the other. And then I just keep mm. checking it. And then when, you know, one is done, you take it out, you just use a big spoon and take it out and then let the other one keep cooking. So yeah. that's a, that's a good way, you know, instead of like mixing everything together, if you separate them, that's a good, that's a good workaround. Yeah. Since I've had a kid for the last, however many years, every Sunday, I have done that every Sunday. And I just like roast through a whole bunch of vegetables and they're sitting in the fridge for her, for us, for dinner, for salads, the mix into fried rice later, blah, 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 blah. But that is like always my standard prep. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? I, one of my delicious. you know what I love to do actually one of my favorite lunches because I get a farm box, so I always have these root vegetables coming at me like rutabaga and sweet potatoes and you know parsnips, and so I'll roast up everything, throw it in the fridge, and then for lunch I'll take some yogurt. I'll take I'll warm up my veg. I'll dollop it with yogurt, and I'll sprinkle some cumin and some salt and some chopped mint or whatever if I have or chopped parsley, and just that yogurt just kind of rounds it out and mm. make it's like a sauce makes it a meal. So that is one of my absolute standards. Um, but okay, so let's give them some more ideas in case they don't want to roast. What about doing like um, a slaw, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you thinly slice the Brussels sprouts and you grate the carrots and then you toss them together with a little mayo, a big squeeze of lemon or a little bit of, of cider vinegar, some mustard, and you just toss that whole thing together. And then you've got, a, you've got like a Brussels sprout and carrot slaw, yeah. which I think would be really nice as a side dish. Yeah. Nice and tender. Yeah. Oh, and the cauliflower. Um, you can you can like treat cauliflower almost like mashed potatoes, right? You simmer them in a little bit of stock, or simmer them in a or little milk. bit of milk, and then just like yeah. throw them in a food processor. Oh, I've done that. It's delicious. With like a yeah. with butter on top um, to puree it in, and it's delicious. Oh, God, that sounds good. And that you know you take that same puree and you just add a little more chicken broth and you've got yeah. soup, which is just great. <laughs> it's funny because I'm actually editing a, a cookbook right now by Hugh Atchison that's sort of like a beginner's cookbook. And like, yeah, he's like, oh, pureeing is one of the things you need, really need to learn because it can be a vegetable or you add a little more liquid and it's a sauce or you add a little more liquid than that and it's a soup. And like, you can literally make three things out of the same thing. Yeah, that's exact. Yeah, you know, I never think of it like that, but I think that's right. I think pureeing is underrated. I think we should all puree more. I, especially yeah, now, that's... right? Don't you want pureed foods? I want I want to puree things again. I used to puree I, all the time. I want when to my be a baby. A baby. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I want to be a baby again. Yeah, exactly. Spoon feed back. me some some lovely cauliflower. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Melissa, I do want to ask you one more thing. And this show was actually going to air um, on the weekend right before Easter, which is also in the middle of Passover. Are you? And obviously, we you know can't get together now. Are you? Are you? Are you? Holding a seder? Are you celebrating? What do you? What are your plans? Oh, Passover is so sad this year. So, um, you know, I'm gonna miss my family. My mom yeah. is, you know, my mom's in a, in rehab in a nursing home. So I can't even, mm. you know, 
I mean, I can talk to her on the phone, you know, my sister, they're going to be doing their thing. So I don't want to do a Zoom Seder. I don't want to do it um, a FaceTime Seder. Um, so it'll just be the three of us. I mean, I, on the one hand, I'm kind of excited about it because my sister is definitely more religious than we are. And so they do the whole entire long Seder, like forever. So we're going to we're going to cut it down a little bit. So I'm, and I'm also excited about and, um, figuring out a way to engage um, our 11 year old um, who, frankly, has told me that she really is kind of bored by Seder. So and I remember I used to be bored, too. So we're, this year, the, the fun part is going to be trying to engage her and engage all of us because we won't have anybody else kind of looking at what we're doing. We could, but um, so on the one yeah. hand, it's super sad. <laughs> no but on the other hand, it's also kind of exciting. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> let's see how fun, how fun can we make, you know, the, the, this very important, important ritual. But we want to make it yeah. super fun. And of course, it'll be delicious because I got my matzo meal. I have my chicken. I'm going to make, I know in the freezer, I'm going to make my chicken stock. I'll make my matzo ball soup. I've got some short ribs in the freezer. So you know, I have my apples, so I've got, and I'm, I have matzah, so I'm set. I've got everything I need. I just don't right have on. my, the whole family. Yeah. I have my, my yeah. immediate family. So good and bad. And no Elijah. No and Elijah bad. this year. No, Elijah's not coming in this year. Sorry, Elijah. <laughs> You've been to every house on the block. You can just stay outside. <laughs> I wonder if I could like squirt some wine at him from a distance, you know? <laughs> yeah, just put a little glass of wine outside the house. Yeah, put a glass yeah. of wine outside. Exactly. I, I wonder if I could do that. I better check yeah. with some rabbis. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Take care. Oh, Francis, you too. Take care. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay safe. Later. Stay sane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. That was our friend Melissa Clark, author of Dinner in French. Right now, she's also cooking her way through the quarantine. She's posting new recipes all the time at the New York Times coronavirus blog. So you can check that out. And she left us with a recipe from her new book. Find her roasted tarragon chicken with crispy mushrooms at our website, SplendidTable.org. For eight seasons, the Emmy Award-winning show Potty's Mexican Table has taken us around Mexico. It's shown us Potty Hinnish's passion for her homeland's regional cuisines, and her perspective is a far-reaching one. She was raised in a Jewish Eastern European family in Mexico, she trained in a French culinary school in Maryland, and I called her at her home in Washington, D.C. Hola, Patti. <laughs> Hola, Francis. <laughs> so good to hear your voice. The same, the same. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I am, um, I've become a cooking machine. That's what I've become. But it's, it's been challenging, fun, interesting, you know. Yeah, this is funny. It's like, this is where... Um, you know, all other people, all these people who are like, oh, food media people, food writers, food professionals, we're all like, oh my God, I'm cooking so much. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I have to cook dinner every night. <laughs> I know. And people that run into my husband, like outside of where we live or, you know, the calls that he's having, they all tell him, oh man, you're so lucky. You must be eating so well. And I'm like, can we stop with those expectations? Yeah. I just want to make pancakes every day. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm done. I, I literally never in my entire life cooked dinner 16 days in a row, which is what I like. I think we're on day 16 or 17 right now. And it's fun. Like I do enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it was stressful at first, but now I'm sort of getting into a rhythm, but it is like, it is, it is a lot. And like, you know, God knows, like so many homemakers do this all day, every day. 
you know, and don't get the thanks for it. They don't get the, the credit for it. Um, but now it's like, you know, even professionals are like, whew, this is really Absolutely. intense. And you know what I realized, like for, for our family and our home, food and cooking have become like our world clock. It's how we can mm. organize. It's how we split our days, our time, how we assign tasks. You know, it's, it's keeping us very sane and encouraged and um and everybody's jumping in to cook very different things but i am being surprised by like realizing for example my oldest son who's in college now and he's back here i'm very happy with all my boys here mm. and i'm learning all like his tastes the things he likes to cook things that i had no idea i had no idea he loves tofu for example oh right on um sammy who's my middle son he's been baking bread a lot with me and my youngest son has become like a dessert maniac which is making us all get very fat in a very short amount of time francis <laughs> what you have all the flour you're the people with all the flour <laughs> no you know i started negotiating with my neighbors that because there's no flour in the stores here so, you know, I'm like <laughs> texting them, if you give me some of your flour, I'll give you half of what I'm baking with it. And they're all delighted. And we keep on getting flour because they all want fresh bread. So. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So uh, I am so excited to have you on. I know our listeners are super excited to have you on. We have a bunch of questions from them for you. And actually, I'll start because we're talking about flour with um, one that came in from Twitter. Uh, okay. So I'm just going to read it. The a uh, question comes from someone whose handle is at ink tea and it's i need cake flour and all-purpose flour but all i have is bread flour is there something yeah. i can do to make my situation workable some kind of technique or substitution that is a great question and i think that exactly now when so many people are missing the all-purpose flour and when you're able to go to the store all you find is cake flour or different kinds of flour you wonder what you can do mm -hmm. and i think that this is a great opportunity to experiment with <laughs> what the different kinds of flour do and also to realize that any flour and all flour works you know that mm. one doesn't have to be extra picky so what i've realized is of course as many pastry chef and bakers know that the bread flour is the higher in gluten mm -hmm. and it will rise a bit more and it'll give you a little bit more of a chew. All-purpose flour is kind of in between and cake flour is the lightest, the fluffiest, the silkiest. But here's an example. I was making challah last Friday, you know, challah bread, mm -hmm. and all we had left was cake flour. And I got the fluffiest, you know, most cloud-like challah ever, and mm. it was delightful. And I find that you can substitute one-to-one -one all of these flowers, mm. bread flour to all-purpose flour to cake flour. And what happens is just that you're going to have a different result, but I find that all the results are just as yummy, you know? Mm. But I think it's a great opportunity to experiment and play and to relax and to take the moment that we're living in with a little bit of um, like a lighthearted approach, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. That's really, it's funny when uh, cooking advice and just like life advice kind of meld. <laughs> <laughs> and, it... <laughs> and the other amazing thing is you realize 
we look for recipes, you know, many people are super heavy recipe followers and some people are more spontaneous, but I think that we look for recipes because we're looking for guidance, right? We don't mm. know what to do. I remember when I started cooking and I was completely clueless, Francis, like if a recipe said salt or pepper to taste, I would be like lost. Mm -hmm. You know, what do they mean? Like, is it a half a cup? Is it a pinch? How much is a pinch? You know, my hand is tiny. You realize that recipes are always like a guide that yeah. cooking is communal and recipes get passed on and tweaked and that recipe that called for cake flour you know what you made it with bread flour and it became chewier and more interesting to eat you know and yeah. that bread that was supposed to be doughy and thick and crusty is now fluffy as a cloud well you know spread yeah. some jam yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is Patti Hinich host of Patti's Mexican Table on PBS and we'll be back with more with her in a minute I'm Francis Lamb, and this is The Splendid Table from APM. We're spending this episode taking your quarantine cooking questions with Melissa Clark, and now Patti Hinich. She's the host of Patti's Mexican Table on PBS, and she's the author of Mexican Today. All right, now back to Patti. Let's go to one of our calls. Um, we have yeah. Karen. Hi, uh, Splendid Table. This is Karen from Northern Minnesota. And my husband, John, just went back outside to continue the process of making maple syrup. We tapped more trees today for sap. Um, oh, my God. We use maple syrup for just about everything in coffee and in buckwheat pancakes. We add it to chili. We put it on cornbread. But my question is, what else can we use maple syrup in? And... <laughs> Even though we're with each other 24-7 right now, I can guarantee you that maple syrup makes you sweeter. So thank you for any ideas on what else would be fun to do with maple syrup. Bye. Okay, are we sure that call isn't like from like a clandestine representative of like the Maple Syrup Board of America? It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous of that person. I know it makes your life wonderful and sweet. I want some of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know. Listen, I love maple syrup. And I mean, I like to drop it in my cafe con leche, Francis. Oh, that's I mean, good. I mean, good. yeah, I love piloncillo and brown sugar, but maple syrup, it just makes it silky and sticky and caramelly. I mean, coffee. I love mixing maple syrup with spicy. Mm. You know, she probably doesn't have a kind of chipotle sin adobo sauce, which makes you wonder why doesn't everybody in the world have a kind of chipotle sin adobo sauce <laughs> in their pantry? I'm going to be like her saying, hey, chipotle sin adobo sauce truly make life wonderful. Oh, that's, well, okay. How would you combine them? How would you combine the chipotles with uh, the maple? Oh, that okay. Sounds so, so good. Yeah, so chipotle sin adobo sauce, and you can use some of the sauce, and if you want a little bit more of the heat and you want it a little chunky, then you not only have the adobo sauce from the chipotle sin adobo sauce, but you grab one of the chiles and you chop them. Okay. You put that in a bowl, you add some of that maple syrup, you squeeze a little bit of fresh lime juice or lemon juice, a little bit of Dijon mustard, Mm. one or two uh, pressed garlic cloves and then a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper, 
And I mean, you have there a sauce that you can use as a vinaigrette. You can use that as a marinade for, I use, I actually use that for um, fresh salmon. I cover oh, it cool. in that, like, yeah, I make that sauce, chipotle maple. I call it the chipotle maple marinade. And I cover the salmon and then I just broil it or bake it. And then I tuck that into a sandwich with avocado and some lettuce. Um, but you can use that sauce to grill thawed shrimp, to grill um, chicken breasts. You can also use it if you add a little bit more of the acid, you know, if you wanted to add a splash of um, white wine vinegar or white distilled vinegar, then you make it more liquidy and you turn it into a vinaigrette. Oh, I love that. That sounds so yeah. good. Yeah, that combination of like the spicy and smoky from the AAA and the sweetness from the and not just not just sweetness because it's not just sugar, right? It's like that. I mean, yeah. I don't know how, how I don't want to describe maple syrup, but you, you know what maple syrup tastes like. <laughs> like <it> just that just <laughs> sounds like like automatically that just sounds so good together. What else would you do? Okay, another thing that I love doing ma uh, with maple syrup, um, and this may sound a little bit indulgent, it's um maple syrup you mix it with melted butter and then fresh squeezed orange juice and orange zest oh cool and then you coat sweet potatoes on that and then put it in the oven and you get like caramelly sticky citrusy um sweet potatoes oh that sounds great i know oh wait 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 you know what you can do Francis? <laughs> you, can, you can make a soup with maple syrup like a carrot soup with a little bit of, you cook some carrots with leeks or white onion and you just sweat them. Uh -huh. You, I always have a frozen chicken broth in my freezer. Okay. Now running a little bit low, but I mean, you could use vegetable broth, chicken broth, or just water. You know, you cook mm -hmm. your carrots, leeks, onions until they sweat and become really sweet and super soft and then add water or broth and then you puree that with a little bit of maple syrup and salt and pepper. You could use white pepper if you have white pepper. I think white <laughs> pepper and maple syrup go really good. Oh, but wait, smoothies with maple syrup? Wait, are you from the maple syrup board? Like, <laughs> How did this happen? How, how would this become a maple syrup show? Actually, Karen from Northern Minnesota happens to be my sister, Karen. We're compoting here. No, I'm kidding. I do have a sister, Karen, who lives in Mexico City and who also happens to love maple syrup. But, I mean, smoothies. If you Now that it's very in fashion to make smoothies with um, almond, like, a butter and peanut butter and all kinds of butters like if you mix that with maple syrup and a banana and whatever kind of milk like yum that sounds great all right yeah. okay let's 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 move on to um less mapley matters uh let's go to kevin <laughs> in philadelphia okay hey splendid table kevin here from philly Question for you guys. Now that I am stuck inside with my four young kids significantly more than we are used to, we are typically a family that goes out to eat and grabs things on the go. Uh, we're not much of cooks, my wife and I. And I'm looking for some easy things that we can make, whether in a crock pot or quickly to feed the kids uh, with um, ground beef or chicken, uh, pork, uh, things that would be really easy for us non-cooks to get up and running quickly to feed in mass. Thanks so much and uh, enjoy the show. Take care. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, I love things that you can make 
big batches mm -hmm. of and repurposing. And totally. I think that Mexican and Latin cuisines love doing that. I mean, I think every cuisine loves doing that when you jump into the different kinds of cuisines. But for example, things that are like, um, like sloppy joe kind of feelings that mm -hmm. you can make with cooked chicken or shredded meat are like chicken tinga. I know chicken tinga is a favorite. You have chicken that you can buy already rotisserie or already cooked, or you just cook the chicken, you know, whichever way is easier for you. You bake it, uh, you cook it as in chicken broth, you shred the chicken, and then you cook that um, shredded chicken in a base that you make as if you were making a tomato sauce for pasta, but Mexican style. So you cook some tomatoes, onions, garlic, and chipotle in adobo, or okay. you could use jalapeno or any chili that you like, some oregano, some thyme, some bay leaves. You let that cook for a while until it becomes like thick and seasoned. And then you just toss your chicken in there and you let it cook for 10 to 15 minutes and you have this chicken tinga that you can, if you make a big batch, one day you can eat it with rice. The next day you can make chicken tinga quesadillas. Mm -hmm. um, you can make chicken tinga sandwiches. Um, another great option are beans. I mean, if yeah. you cook a big batch of beans or even if you have canned beans, one day you cook them with a little bit of onion. Another day you can cook them with Okay, okay, okay. You cook bacon, and in the rendered fat of the bacon, you add white onion, a little bit of jalapeno. If you have chorizo, you throw in some chorizo. If you want to add some pimiento or some other vegetables, you let that cook, and then you add your beans, and you have like a hefty, you know, bean meal that you can also eat inside of burritos, you know, inside mm -hmm, of sour mm -hmm. tortillas. That's fun for kids. Or you can eat that as a side of, you know, with like real chicken. I mm -hmm. mean, beans are just so repurposable. Yeah. I mean, we eat beans in this house every day, you know, every day. So I'll cook a couple pounds of black beans or pinto beans, say today. And today we will eat it with, you know, we'll top our rice with those beans and make a little salad. That's what we have. Then the leftover beans the next day make a soup. So you grab a couple of tomatoes, a piece of onion and a garlic clove and you roast it or you mm. just broil it or you saute it. And then you puree that with some of those cooked beans oh, and it. add a little bit of broth or water and you have a roasted tomato bean soup. And then you can add to that some croutons or some tortilla chips. You know, that's fun for kids, some crema, some queso, some vegetables. The other thing that you can do with beans that you have that you cooked is you mash them and then you make molletes. You know, you grab a piece of baguette or bagels, you know, whatever bread you have, mm -hmm. and then you slather the bread with the beans, cover it with cheese, put it in the toaster oven or the oven, or even you just put it in a pan for it to heat, and then you top it with a little bit of hot sauce or oh, pico de gallo, great. you have a full meal. So, Patty, let me ask you one more question. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit funny because I know your family is Jewish, but yeah. you once called yourself the most Catholic Jew you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And, you know, this show is going to come out like right before Easter on Easter weekend. Do you yeah. like do you celebrate Easter? <laughs> yeah, we listen. 
I celebrate anything I can celebrate. So growing up in Mexico, which is a country that is like really 99% Catholic, like most of our traditions and celebrations have to do around the Catholic church's clock and calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about Day of the Dead, you think about Christmas, and of course Easter, and it usually runs next to Passover. So of course we celebrate and we eat. I mean, we mostly do the food, Um, Mm -hmm. for Easter. And one of the things that we love to make during Easter time is capirotada, which is like Mexico's bread pudding of choice. Mm -hmm. And it's a dish that Mexicans are so like obsessed with and um, absolutely love. And it's a bread pudding where bread is typically fried in lard, talking about Easter and Passover Uh, together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like the bread is uh, fried in lard. I adapted and fried in butter. Okay. And then you cover it with a, a brown sugar or piloncillo syrup and you layer it with a really unexpected pairings, which is salty queso fresco, mm. peanuts or nuts, okay. and dried and fresh fruits. And then you bake that in the oven and it is delicious. And I actually have one. That's a mango and plantain capirotada where I use fresh mango and sauteed plantains and they become kind of caramelized and it's an unexpected combination. That sounds awesome. I'm going to make it. Absolutely. I think you're going to love it and you're going to be able to keep those girls really busy yeah. by frying that bread. <laughs> I'll keep them away from that. Maybe I'll them layer. Okay. All right, Patti. It's been great talking with you. You too, Francis. And you know, it's a time where we all may just find out how good of a cooks we all are. <laughs> Let that be a silver lining. Yes. All right. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Francis. Hugs. Yeah, same. Patti Hinich is the host of Patti's Mexican Table on PBS, and she's working on a new cookbook. In the meantime, if you want to check out her Easter bread pudding, you can find that recipe. It's called Capirotada. It's at SplendidTable.org. And that is our show for this week. We hope you found it helpful. And please let us know what you want to hear from us these days, how we can help you through this time and help you keep your love of cooking going. Keep calling or sending in your cooking questions. Record them as voice memos on your phone and email them to us. It's contact at SplendidTable.org. Or you can call and leave us a message. Our number is 1-800-537-5252. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, stay home, and be safe. We'll talk to you next week. You can listen to all our podcasts. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our weekly email, Weeknight Kitchen. We deliver recipes straight to your inbox every Wednesday to make your dinner time a little easier. Sign up at SplendidTable.org. This show comes together with the help of our team, Jenny Lupke, Jennifer Russell, Erica Romero, Chip Walton, and Sally Swift. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Francis Lamb, and this is APM, American Public Media. <laughs>